Good morning and welcome everyone. This is Dr. T, Pastor Overseer of the DFW Leader Online Ministry Fellowship. And we welcome you today, ministers and people who want to hear God. I want to, you know, share again that every word I say, every written word, video, audio word is only addressing the members of the body of Christ who've made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. Everyone else is always welcome and valued and respected, but I want everyone to know if I make any difficult points or straightforward points. Every direct point is made to the Christian, but submitted respectfully as a selah for them to pray about, know about, discern, and then if they need to get their Bible out, BYOB, bring your own Bible and be a noble Berean that would make Apostle Paul proud. Today I'm going to talk about Generally, I'm going to talk about authority, the roots of authority. There's a difference between having authority and having control over somebody. There's a difference between being under authority and then usurping authority or being in rebellion to that authority. And because I've dealt with a lot of the prophetic ministries, a lot of really great ones, a lot of different kinds of Christians in ministry, black and white, all my life, including my father as a pastor, I have some opinions on it because I noticed that certain groups that I have been mentioning lately have a lot of legalism. And instead of assessing, it goes toward Phariseeism, accusing, instead of assessing somebody for not being in church, not being under their kind of authority, not maybe being seen more than one church, calling them church hoppers. So this type of thing, plus the do-good deed-doer in the middle income, I guess you'd say grassroots local area of churches, mainly charismatic again, <clears throat> who's over who? Who's under who? Are you under somebody famous if you're a minister to be valid? Are you a member of a local church? We keep our eye on you to see if you are or if you're not, and we evaluate us, we evaluate you according to how we know that we're perfect in attendance. We love to go to church. Now, within that going to church movement, the people who really enjoy it, you can find a spectrum of true believers just seeking God, wanting to hear from God, which is like I do it, that fellowshipping with the saints in authentic first church, hungering more for a relationship with God, the fear of the Lord, uh, fellowshipping with the other saints to, you know, to have a community. But then you can also go in America today to the very strict, the very strict caste system church, the legalistic church, the sin-spying church, or the very loose church, the very PC church, Oh, we accept everything. You know, we don't even know the Bible that well, but whatever the society's doing, we'll do it because we don't want to hurt anybody. So we can go from the giant spectrum of people who want liturgy. We can go to the other end of the of this of the spectrum in the spiritual Christian ministry of those who move in the spirit. Maybe they go too far and not stay grounded in the Word of God, but they could go like, I guess you'd say flaky or just, you know, too much Holy Spirit without enough common sense, no feet on the ground practicality at all. So we don't want to get too overly loose. We don't want to get too overly dry. And each one of us, we have to realize, is born into a world with Greek thinking, humanistic thinking, carnal thinking, 
media affected, media washed thinking, movie, video, memory thinking, and then what daddy said, mama said, granny said, preacher said, TV talking head said, and all the authorities we've come across in our life. And many of those bring imprints, emotional imprints, which are can be very fine, good, quality, safe, healthy memories of family and love and pastors that bring safe and comforting and vibrant living, positive reminders of emotional, spiritual imprints that have helped us and affected us in a healthy, normal, positive way. So you can look back and through that, think of the different kinds of authority that you've come in contact with. Now, I'm not going to talk about the United States government or any national government. I'm talking about spiritual authority because I'm talking to the Christian ministers. Even though there is a overflow, you know, to business, doing real life things, the government requirements, all those types of things, legal law things. But I'm talking about community, Ephesians 4 community, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one father of us all, the basic hallmarks of a Christian without law. I'm talking about Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It says, everyone, leadership to lay, everyone walk in meekness and lowliness and long-suffering with one another in relationship, endeavoring to keep peace. And that will give a humility, a community, a respect that will then, if you read later in that chapter, after the fivefold offices, which are called the gifts to the church, and I note that Paul, who wrote this book to the Ephesians, writes every office in a lowercase letter, no capitals, significant to me as meaning implying servant leader. And Apostle Paul, when he wrote about himself in Galatians 1, saying that he was an apostle sent out by not any one man, but by God himself, he wasn't under or sent out by any one group, he still uses the lowercase a about himself. I guess I'm the kind of apostle I call a chief apostle because only about the Holy Spirit to say it, to stir up thought. Chief apostle, a doctrine originator for your movement or your group, you know. And I see those letters every time with lowercase servant leader A. I would call the first disciples of Jesus Christ, the one who knew him in person, sat under his ministry, was ministered, ministered, mentored by him, as the capital A apostles of the church, with Jesus being over them, but never in a legalistic, bowing and scraping fashion, as is common right now in a lot of ministry. So we're going to go at the root of authority. And so we have to look at healthy authority that would be basically, in my opinion, with no control, but using everyone knowing about how to practice self-control temperance, self-government, which is the root of every healthy society, family, business, and personal interaction. Everyone working on your own deal with God's help. That goes to the Christian, the born-again Christian in ministry and also leadership training to young people, old people, yourself, everybody working on it. And it says that after you invite Jesus into your heart, he gives you the gift, the free gift of the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And within the Holy Spirit in everybody is this supernatural grace and power to have the fruits of the Spirit. Paul writes about them in Galatians 5, 23. 
He says, you will get a free grace to have love, God's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, self-control. That's not under the law. That's just grace. And of course, during life, God wants us to work on our humility, our patience. He'll put us in different situations that bring that out to teach us. But also we can ask for it, grow in it, and mod it, really self-inspect to see if we're operating in that. One of the things I think that people are, with people with legalistic tendencies, they don't realize the need to train. They can train people. It won't be as hard for them. The law has to be like the Old Testament People in the Old Testament didn't have the Holy Spirit, so they didn't have self-control because there was no God was good. But he had to put him in the schoolhouse under the law with penalties to pay and sacrifices to make them get to that carnal nature to be disciplined, to guard, guide and govern society and also family relationships, keeping things peaceful and going toward God. So there is a lot of rules of law in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God has given us the law in our hearts. He fulfilled the law, and instead he gives us his supernatural grace and wisdom, the seven holy parts of the the seven spirits of God of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, which is really the book of Acts without tongues. And you can look at that, Isaiah 11, 2, the prophesied Messiah, he was filled with the seven spirits of his father, the spirit of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord, the might of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord. So we can all invite the Lord to give us more, whether we speak in tongues or not. I'm, no, I'm not just talking to charismatics, but right now I think the charismatics need reproving. I personally have been around all my life, decades and decades in ministry, not under the law. And in 2016, after what I experienced in the state of Texas with Christianity, when I tried to find the Holy Spirit, basically, I I quit. It's not just charismatic, it's crazy-matic or just some things that were so bad, so not Jesus and so unhealthy and unclean, not everywhere, not some of the ones toward my letter, you know, when I first, after, after 2020. But I will say this, that the, I, the Lord just had me drop my nonprofit in 2012, get out of the charismatic movement. I am not a charismatic. So if you think I'm under you charismatics, we're not. Later, he gave me Galatians 1, 1 and 2, which I am. That didn't mean that if I don't go to your church, I'm not under your authority. I am. I'm not a big deal. I'm not the boss. I want just to do what order says. Common sense and love. So I speak on authority because I've had manipulative authority to deal with. Jumping me in public without any reason because I was there in quiet James 3.17 fruit. That any wisdom that comes from above or any action that is looking like the wisdom above is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And those were people that were sticklers for submission. And because that was so unsubmitted to the wisdom of God of easily entreated, it was unsubmitted to upfront, respectful of the person relationship by inquiring one-to-one -one in a relationship, a human relationship, which would be either Galatians 
if you think they look like they're in sin, go talk to them and do it, elder, in a spirit of humility, lest you yourself are tempted later in the same way. And Matthew eighteen fifteen, they're unsubmitted to Matthew eighteen fifteen. You see your brother or sister in a fault. You are to one-to-one make an appointment, make an appointment quietly and talk to them respectfully, not talk down to them, but to try to work out relationships and confront to see if it's really so, if the facts are true. If you're scared of them, and I'm reminded of the chicken-hearted lampstand overseer of the church of Thyatira, and the Lord rebuked the lampstand because he tolerated he was too cowardly to go confront the female whose name was Jezebel teaching false doctrine. Now, these days, that was the, you know, back in the day when the men were the pastors, still they let one woman teach. Evidently, they had proof that women were allowed to teach certain one, but they chose the wrong one in that leadership. And then they were too scared of her. She was too dominating or formidable for them to feel like they could talk to her. So that would be a Matthew eighteen fifteen. Uh, choice to one-to-one confront her, but if you're too scared, go get somebody to go with you and then set her out. Today, there could be a female leader that says there's a controlling person and I'm too scared. Could be a controlling man, a dominating man, a demonic person, or a female. So, I mean, this is just basic root relationship discoveries and doctrine. So we go back to the Spirit of the Lord. We go back to inviting Jesus into our Savior as the first fruit, the first line of self-government, of authority, of anyone's authority. Now, back in the garden, back in the garden before the, the fall, before sin came in and willful rebellion, there was a relationship. Adam was formed first. They had a wonderful relationship for a time, and God said, don't eat of that one tree. You can have everything else, Adam. Then Eve was formed, so Adam was the chain of command. He had been given the instruction not to eat that tree first. And God didn't want puppets. God wanted somebody who would have self-control and love him more than they would love himself and choose what God said rather than please self. So when Eve came, somehow she knew the instructions as well, and everything was great and perfect and lovable and happy and smart and peaceful, organic. No trials, no stress. Everyone had self-government. There was no anger, cursing, hitting, strife. That came later. However, up in heaven, there was a big rebellion going on. The ungrateful musician who was the worship leader in heaven, Lucifer, Beelzebub, he was in competition and mutinied against God and took the angels and God threw him down. That's Revelation 12, 7 through 11. Why, what happened before the fall, how Jesus came and why his purposes, and then he gave power back over, guess what? Guess who? Satan, the accuser. Because the church in Revelation 12, verse 11 says that they overcame him. They had the power given back of self-government, strength, and wisdom to overcome him. Who's him? The accuser. They overcame him, the accuser, deceiver, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto death. So the fall 
when the accuser was gone down in chapter 3 of Genesis, the accuser comes into the garden, the deceiver snake, dressed in his snake suit, and he is the tempter. What he does, he's envious of God. He's angry with God in the plan for the world, keeping it organic, having all these people that never have a fight, a bad day. So he comes down to stir up trouble, and he does his best to accuse. He deceives Eve, but he does it by accusing God. He says, he blames God. He says, Eve, God didn't want you to be as smart as he is. That tree is fine to eat. So she is deceived. So then she goes and hands the fruit to her husband. Now, Adam has got a bigger deal than Eve in this. He had been told before Eve was formed not, <clears throat> excuse me, not to eat of that tree. And here he is, head of planet, head of home, head of household. So he has a willful choice to please God or his wife. So I guess she looked too good. He didn't want to hurt her feelings. There she was with all her hair gleaming in the sunlight. So he said, okay, dear, I'll try it. So he willfully, Adam willfully, wasn't deceived. He willfully partook of it. And when he would partook of it, he lost the the spirit of God, but he also lost self-control for the rest. And so did both of them. We look at God, Father God, the creator who had formed Adam, had a special private relationship with the man apart from the woman, then had a relationship with Eve and Adam. And Adam has just blown it. He has blown the eternal forever plan with all the planets and all the you know, joy and never having horror or, or fear or a dark day. And here God comes. And because God is self-control, not controlling, he is wisdom, he is peace, and he is respectful, no matter what, not an accuser. The accuser is the one in the garden, the snake, serpent, devil. God is the assessor. He knows what's going on. He knows what's right. He will confront, but he does it in a manner that is respectful with self-government. So in the chapter 3 of Genesis, we find the authority of all authorities, the Father God, the maker of all heaven and earth, eternal wise God, Father of the Savior and of Adam and Eve. He goes to find Adam and he says to respect Adam, chain of command form, because Adam was the one he first told, you know, it was his authority and Eve was under his authority. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, the tone of voice is not accusing. It's not browbeating. It's not demanding, Adam, where are you? I know what you did. You know, that Pharisee type mean father abusive stepfather, whatever, abusive authority tone. Instead, he is respectful of Adam and simply does like a great parent. And he says, Adam, where are you? Meaning to me, because I love parenting, there is a hang time. Adam, where are you? Adam has a chance right then to fess up, man up, human up, and tell him the truth. Okay, God, we blew it. I blew it. She blew it. It had happened on my watch. We ate that tree you said not to. He could have humbled himself, gone to God, and I'm sure God would have said, okay, I accept your repentance and apology. Don't do it again. However, he didn't. Right now, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God had departed, and Adam was now in his worst state, the carnal state, and he now, instead of resembling God, 
he resembles the accuser. And he says, well, that woman you gave me, she she made me. He starts to manipulate God, try to con out con God by passing the buck. Adept blame shifting started then on the planet. It's still here, not wanting to be accountable and responsible, but then avoiding any kind of penalty by skillfully and artfully passing it on the blame to the next person. So that condemnation, that accuser of the brethren and the sisterin began then, and it's still there now. So we want to go to the end of the chapter. And let me point out, while all these teachers through the years, it's so frustrating, they always make a deal. It's only a woman who's a Jezebel. That's how the tradition is, especially the grassroots. I'm saying that was the... The female is the Jezebel, the persona of the gender, and Jezebel is the gender. Maybe there's a temptation. But when you read Jezebel, Jezebel was the King Ahab in First, Second Kings 16, the willful Baal worshiper, king of Israel, Ahab, the weak king, went over and invited Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal, the Baal worshiper, not under the law. She was not raised around the Hebrew law. He willfully participated, just like Adam willfully ate of the tree. He willfully went over and invited her to be married. No wonder she was demonic. But he chose to do that and brought it on himself. He could have kicked her out. He didn't do it later. So there are a lot of little shades of gray we want to point out, that we have been pointing out. All right, so then we get back to Adam and Eve, and we look at... The need with all the, you know, starting in Genesis with the loss of self-control. The gender of the accuser is the male. When you see the word accuser of the brethren, the accuser, it's only twice. Genesis 3, Revelation 12, 7 through 12, 7 through 11, and it's only in the gender of the accuser. So therefore, fathers, stepfathers, pastors, patriarchs, authority who are males have a tendency maybe more to be accusative and harsh, hard than the female, but yet all men are not accusers. My dad was not. He was the opposite. He kept his control, you know, self-control, but he wasn't controlling or dominating. Very peaceful. However, there can be accuser females, and you know it. They can gossip and backbite worse, you know, just as bad as anybody. So we, as authorities, parents, pastors, we don't want to be people pleasers because it won't please God, but we can be assessing, evaluating, and upfront confronting in a respectful fashion. If we have to administer reproof or correction, maybe people are tougher some than others and you have to do it more forcefully, but you never cross the line to demeaning, disrespect, abuse. That's the issue. And how can you not do that when you're under pressure and you're human yourself? That's why we go to the New Testament. That's why we know Jesus and invite him into our heart as Savior. That's why we always work on ourselves first to keep a pure heart, to say, you know, am I blowing it, Lord? Do I need to relax more and forgive? You know, uh, not watch so much TV, but focus on reading the Bible to get my self-government, pray in tongues for that, and whatever you need me to do, ask, repent from anything I shouldn't be doing, up to. So we invite Jesus into our heart. And he gives us the free gift of the Holy Spirit, which includes self-control. Now, 
listen, I have to work on that with my mouth or anything, eating sugar, eating, right? Some people have different vices in the, you know, the government issues. Maybe they have a sexual impurity issue that's a you know, big deal. And some have a food issue. Some have a shopping issue. Some have a cruelty rage issue, which can be also carnal. I've had to deal with people that were not very pleasant in my life that had rage, out-of-control issues, but they had been wounded before I met them. They were probably a broken, bruised personality, but they were too. They didn't want to go get help. They didn't think they needed it. So self-control is a huge spectrum, but as a mother, as a parent, as a pastor, I would like to start working to get people, you know, training with starting young, self-government, uh, assessing whether accusing that we've already got the power not to accuse or to abuse and then make it not shameful not a stigma if people have been raised terribly and have huge anger critical demonic even issues or mental health issues because that can do you know people can have they can have bipolar schizophrenia because they were beaten because they were abused so badly that they there's a condition where people will just depart reality when they're little to escape that i think i've dealt with somebody like that but it's so sad it's not their fault they were abused that's the part we got to make sure it's not a stigma it's not your fault if you were raised rough it is not your fault if you were raised cruelty and now that you're grown you have big anger issues it was not your fault but now that you're grown you can get help and you need to get help and you will get help if you love Jesus and love your mate and your children and love your Lord because you want to give him glory by either getting deliverance, working on it with counsel, taking medicine. Some people need medicine. Do whatever it takes to get calm so that you can live your life and have great relationships, be a safe person and be a good witness for the Lord, even if you might have tendencies to still struggle with it, you're doing your best. One of the things I've found when I've dealt with really tough, well-meaning guys, big guys, real big guys, tough guys, some of them, many of them, maybe the older ones more than the young, I don't know, some of these people are in their 50s, 40s, 60s, you know, grew up tough, and they had this mantra, mantra, when the life gets hard, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm going to do it on my own strength. I'm going to work even harder. I'm going to do it with pull myself up in my own bootstraps. I'm going to psychologically psych me up so I can do it in my strength. And see, that is where they can't really do it. And they get snappish or cussing or kill themselves with heart trouble or... You know what? They're doing it because they're trying to be a good person. They're well-meaning. I know their heart. But Jesus said, you can't do it without me. So my mantra is, I teach this right now. Teach it to the young, very young. When the going gets tough, the spiritually strong run to the Lord. They turn to the Lord. Lord, I'm strong enough to admit that I'm a failure at being nice. I can't help but want to snap at my wife and cuss her out or freeze her out with, you know, by silent treatment because I was raised around it. I can't help it. Those children, that stepchild, those kids of mine just get on my nerves. I have to let it out and 
you know, really hit them or cuss them out and stuff. One time, and I get really, you know, I may not finish this message today, but because I have so much to think on this topic, I might do another part. But I remember the nanny show about 10 years ago. I was watching the nanny show. I like that because I couldn't believe how many people in America can't, that the children own them and they are helpless with four, you know, outnumbered and powerless with the children. It's just horrible to think that many are going on in secret. If they can show that many on TV, they find it, admit it. How many are not admitted? The children rule. <laughs> anyway, so they had this one that makes me probably want to cry still. They had, a, I think, step-parents and ch- stepchildren have it worse than regular children with abuse. I really do, because there's no loyal to them. There's no real love unless God puts it there by grace. So they had this man, and he had three beautiful blonde children, stepchildren that were like two, three, and five, or two, four, and six, something like really young and really cute little blonde girls. And he had three of them, and he would just cuss them out and call them the B word. He called them a B word on the regular basis. And my heart just was breaking, you know. So the nanny was so smart. She got a picture. This is what I recall. She got a picture of each of the three little beautiful girls and stood it up. You know, one of those cardboard cutouts their size. She stood it up in the yard and she said, okay, come here. So he went, the man, the husband went there. She said, here are the knives. So she got him all, oh no, darts. She got him all these darts. She said, now, every time you say a word to those people, call her the B word, throw a dart. And he realized that when he threw, he said those things, it was just like a spiritual dart going in their little emotions. So when you think of cussing somebody, talking down, demeaning them, calling them the B word, the F word, you know, horrible. I mean, really, I've had things called me that I know is that bad. That's why I'm you know, empathizing with little kids. I didn't have that happen when I was grown until I was grown. What if I'd had it happen to me to demean me when I was young? It'd be horrible, crippling, paralyzing. So every time those, the word came out of his mouth, the B word, it was equal to them throwing a dart into that beautiful child. And he got it. He got it. So I'm on the warpath. Can you tell? I'm on the warpath for real respect, but I'm also on the warpath for people who understand what it is to go to God for self-control and self-government. If if you have all these people in your congregation, if, even if you have a small group, you'll have issues with self-control. The Bible teaches us who can tame the tongue, that the littlest member causes the most trouble. The tongue being the littlest member, but hey, it's the littlest member on the littlest member of your church, too. Your fellowship can cause the biggest trouble with gossip, pain, you name it, including the leader, you know, any of us. So the self-control issue is really when the drug culture came in before the drug culture and now during after the drug culture, that's when self-control left America down deep. The hallucinogenic, you know, the era of the hippie, they were... Uh, the soul, the American soul was the subculture, which is now the predominant culture. The hippie culture was the predominant culture. Uh, the minor, you know, just a big, small culture in the culture. Now it's the culture and self-control, opioids, addictions, rage, pornography, all those things are part of the Pandora's box. That didn't mean you can't 
forgive people or they can't get better. But we got to go back and to the garden and go get God's help for self-control. Invite Jesus into the our heart. Uh, have the Holy Spirit in the council or train our mind to renew our mind in the Word of God as well. Many leadership tips, which I have to, you know, minimize my speaking right now, but there's so many things for you to think about that will help your people in the congregation that you minister to, your children, your family get back, keep their self-government. And if everyone watches out for their own self-government, when they get together and assemble, there won't be, it'll minimize friction. It'll minimize It'll minimize all the stuff that goes on that causes issues. Now, James 3.17 is the next teaching. You want to train people with family, pre-counsel for marriage, children, work on yourself, I work on me, that our goal in a relationship in life all along the way will be to model the wisdom that comes from above. That means at all times, with God's help, even under pressure, we endure in the fruits that model James 3.17, the wisdom of God. The wisdom that comes from above is pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now remember, and it says, with good fruit, those are the fruits of the Spirit. Apostle Paul, Galatians 5.22-23, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, and self-control, self-government. Finally, when we nurture ourselves, when we train ourselves to respect another and love another to try to keep ourselves under control, then we monitor ourselves that we are not being controllers or needing to use our own personal authority, whether it's womanly wiles, men's wiles, to try to, you know, get our way, get affection and use people as kids even too, but we have to work on our own self-control and our own motives so that we are not going to be dominators or lose our self-control with rage or controllers that we don't need to control. And that's a respect issue for another relationship. Do you respect people enough not to control them? And then I was the one that I've had to learn how not to be controlled because I'm pretty fair to people and open and I had to grow up and not be controlled by some of these people that are art, artful, willful controllers. I mean, there's some big ones out there. So this is a huge, a huge topic. And I'm just briefly teaching some things, points that maybe people can think about and exemplify or really train on. So then we take our self-control, how we comport ourselves by ourselves, then with our family then with our ministry, then with other people in society, and we all work on it as a Christian, and we can work on toward Ephesians 4 community. When you look at Ephesians 4, everyone walking in meekness and lowliness and long-suffering self-control, self-government, and then we work on ourselves and our life and our hearts, and it says that, that the, the community of the Christian churches will be a community of all races and parts of the faith in peace, and it will be transformed that there'll be less winds of doctrine, less immature behavior, and it will affect society. Read yourself, read it for yourself. If everyone's willing to do that, even the fivefold offices in the churches are willing, it will transform society, and that's what's lacking today in society and has been quite a few decades. 
the church is not understand doesn't want to do community it wants to do its thing its secular its own their own sect thing their own group thing their own turf thing their own style and performance thing and now we have chaotic dysfunction church and we have willful and competitive ministry leaders and then we have chaotic society that's about to go down unless god's people rally and rise up and pray and humble themselves now i'm talking general community in church out of church too many people in the last 30 years have made a big deal oh you know those sinners they're not going to church yeah they're saved but they're sinners not good holy people like us because they don't go to church hey listen my crowd is i'm out there with them i was out there with them till just now when i got back to the east coast <laughs> i understand that's what the online fellowship is about onlinefellowship.us for you can't stand any more critical pharisees looking at you governing you minding your business and your mama has gone to heaven, so you, there are no more Christians real left that understand, then you get online. That's why God is booming with the online church and the COVID reboot. So we're looking at what is love? What is true faith in Jesus Christ? How do you believe? What does he look like? How do we do our own thing to get our own act together? And then we go to each other to fellowship and get it going again and have a community of all colors, all races in meekness and lowliness and the fruit of God, the fear of the Lord, as well as the James 3.17 fruit, maybe God will do something big like a revival, bring in the harvest. So I'm going to close. i got to close for now, but I have so many thoughts on this. And to me, it's a wonderful thing. I love the opportunity of not being, I really love the opportunity of not being around legalism. And I love the opportunity to be realistic, practical, pragmatic. Hopefully you can get some practical things of how to, help people learn how not to, you know, can avoid killing each other or fighting or rumors or, you know, all this strife stuff. And we'll work on it, all of us, because we're going to always need God's help to have his self-control. Once we work on our own peaceful, loving self-control, our marriages, our families will be happier. And then we go to church. We still practice the same thing there. The, the fellowship will be happy and thriving. The leaders will be happy and thriving because they don't have so many problems and fires to put out. God is good as mercy endures. I wish you the best and only the very best, as well as a merry heart in your ministry right now. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC from Tavo Creative Leadership signing off for now. God bless you. If you need a prayer request, a comment, or just connect, uh, even to have a visit, to make an appointment, just write me at dfwleader at gmail.com, dfwleader at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a great day.